This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsno. On today's episode, we are starting our journey into the Oscars. A couple weeks ago, we did preview, well, we didn't preview, we reacted to the Oscar nominations. Rachel and I talked about our surprises, who we think might be the front runners, all that fun stuff. But today, we're going to start delving deep into who has the chance to win what awards. We're starting, we're, we're starting this off with three movies that are nominated for Best Picture, and this isn't so much a review of did we like it, did we not like it, more so were we thinking has the odds to win. And so we've broken things up into four categories. We've got front runners, dark horses, long shots, and just happy to be there. And so these four categories, hopefully we can get a better idea of what we think could happen, will happen, and all of that stuff in between. Joining me today is friend of the show, Paulo Bautista, who is host of the Oscars Death Race podcast, who I was recently on where we predicted who we thought would end up getting nominated before the nominations came out. He has an excellent show. If you haven't checked out the Oscars Death Race podcast or any of his other great shows, I highly suggest you do. But Paulo, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you? Hey, Dakota. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Uh, things are going well, you know, making my way through the death race while, you know, also trying to figure out, you know, my lease is coming up for my apartment as people who've been listening to my podcast know. Uh, so, you know, I've been apartment hunting, found the apartment and signed the lease, but now we have to deal with the whole moving thing. So hopefully I can find time to actually finish the death race, uh, between <laughs> packing and moving boxes. Yeah, that, that's a lot to take on at the same time. And I kind of feel that the moving stuff will be prioritized. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, I, I I kind of have a plan on how I'm going to be able to finish everything. So it's just a matter of executing uh, in the end. <laughs> in between unpacking boxes, you could be like, I got an original song movie I need to watch. Sorry, hon. Yeah, I know, I know. So, and I was, I, I mean, I was thinking of maybe trying to, you know, I, I've never seen all, I haven't seen all the D, uh, Daniel Craig Bond films. So I'm like, maybe I'll go back and watch all of those. I think that might be a little bit too ambitious. I might just end up wanting just No Time to Die first, um, and then go from there. So we'll see how it pans out. That's tough because No Time to Die, all of the Bond films are so much connected. They are basically one continuous story, and it really is a finale. So it'd be like picking up a book and being like, I'm going to read the last chapter and see how this goes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how it pans out, you know. Uh, and you know, like 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 Dakota said, you know, you can listen to my journey on my own Oscar Death Face at the Oscars dot com. Um, yeah, and, you know, thanks for coming on the my show. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, we did like like you said the con the, the um you know predicting who would um you know be nominated for each category. Um, and you know, congratulations, you beat me by three points. Um, mm-hmm. I think out of the 120 nominations, I got 77 and you got 80. Um, so you ended up beating me on, on there though. Um, you know, definitely, definitely some wild cards in this year's Oscars. Now question about that. How in this grand scheme of things of everyone that submitted it, how did we do? Were we like in kind of like the top tier or we kind of like middle of the pack or, or low? Um, I would say that the, like the people who who submitted are people who are in the uh, Death Race, you know, uh, Discord server as well as the you know respective subreddits, Oscars Race and Oscars Death Race. So they're people who are kind of clued in to you know what's going on. So it skews a little bit high. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, you know, if you go by goldderby.com, um, their score was eighty nine out of one hundred and twenty, um, and the winning person in like that in, in the little contest that I ran also got an eighty nine as well. Um, so it kind of shows that gold. Gold Derby has it going on with the wisdom of the crowds. Um, you know, I, I think I thought the stat was like something like your score about like 80 or so was about the average slash median score or so. Okay. Um, so I was a little bit below average, but you know, uh, you know, you're right in there, you know, in, in the thick of things. I'll take it. <laughs> and you, uh, and you gave a nice shout out to Rachel, my co-host who got 
What was it? She got one category perfect, I believe. I think she got. I think she got one of the sorts. Like she got the most of one of the sorts categories or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now we are talking about Oscar death racing here a little bit. If anyone isn't familiar with it, that is where you watch every single nominated movie, and I'm talking not just the best pictures, not just the best actors. I'm talking about the international films, the documentaries, all 15 of the shorts, all of that stuff. This year, there are 53 total nominated movies. I haven't gotten a start on any of the shorts yet, but I usually bang out one of the categories in a day at a time, so I'm not too concerned. But overall, I've seen 28 of the 53 nominated movies. Where are you at right now, Paulo? Yeah, you're a little bit ahead of me. I'm at 23 uh, films right now. You know, I'd seen about 19 before the nominations came out. Um, and then this past week, you know, the most recent episode as of recording is going to be my episode about um, the animated feature films. So I watched, you know, the four, the three Disney films plus Mitchell's versus the machines to get up to 23. Um, and, you know, I, I each week for, you know, the rest of the season, I kind of have a plan for what I'm going to be watching. Um, so I think like this coming week, I'm going to try to watch some of the international films like um, Worst Person in the World, Parallel mothers and lunana um the week after i think i'm going for more technical categories so like serrano's coming out in theaters also like Tam- eyes of tammy fane coming to america after that you know i'll probably that's after that will be when i believe drive my car and liquor's pizza come out on digital so i'll probably catch those at home um and then the last kind of stretch will be watching the uh the sword films which hopefully will be at the ifc center here in new york as well as the documentaries and then of course our favorite category original song uh with no time to die and of course everyone's favorite diana warren uh with <laughs> four good days mm-hmm, absolutely uh, but all that said, I figure let's get into this right now. We're talking about three of the best picture nominees this uh, this episode. There's 10 altogether. I was able to break it down to uh, 20 nominations per episode. So there's going to be three episodes on this series. The first one, we're talking today about Dune, King Richard, and Nightmare Alley. So let's start off with Dune. Dune has uh, the most nominations of this group with 10. And they are up for best picture, best adapted screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Production Design, Best Original Score, Best Sound, Best Visual Effects, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, and Best Costume Design. So, let's start off with the biggie, Best Picture. Obviously, when you have this many nominations, you're going to be in the thick of it no matter what happens. It's very rarely that a movie gets, you know, you know, eight, nine, ten nominations and isn't one of the front runners for Best Picture. But honestly, because of the fact that Denis Villeneuve did not get nominated for Best Director, I really think that hurts its chances overall. And so I'm putting Dune as a dark horse for Best Picture. There's at least two, three maybe movies that have a better chance than Dune. Where do you sort of land on this category for it? Yeah, well, I think the thing you have to remember, right, is that Best Picture ends up being voted by the entire Academy, right? And yeah, you know, part of that, in part, the biggest branch is the acting category, and I believe directors are up there as well. But at the same time, you know, Dune just has, I think, the most groundswell support from all of the technical categories, just by virtue of having all the technical categories. Um, so I think the technical branches might be able to pull through and, and really get it out there. It's kind of like the Mad Max uh, of this year, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which I don't, I wasn't, I was really following the Oscars seriously when Mad Max was around um were you at were you at that time uh yeah I was I was still doing the death race back then so do you think that would you say Mad Max kind of was in the conversation for best picture around that year or was it kind of like a dark horse as well for you at that at that time you know what I think it's a pretty good comparison because both movies had really intense you know internet you know, campaigns behind it where a lot of fans really were pulling for it, marveling at, uh, 
the ability to use special effects to actually tell a story and not just be, you know, robots fighting each other sort of thing uh, with some really strong acting performances, but no real sort of standout in the same way that Dune, like Dune, the main character is Timothy Chalamet. And I don't think anyone walked out of Dune being like Timothy Chalamet for best actor sort of thing, mm-hmm. where it was like, yeah, it was a really good ensemble cast. I liked everyone. And I feel, sort of feel similarly with Mad Max. A lot of people really like Charlize Theron, but she wasn't the lead. That was technically Tom mm-hmm. Hardy. And then, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. So I think they're actually pretty good comparisons where mm-hmm. a lot of the internet is going to be very angry when Dune doesn't win this bis- when Dune doesn't win Best Picture, much like a lot of people on the internet were very mad that Mad Max Fury Road didn't win Best Picture. Yeah, and I mean, another comparison would be, you know, um, you know the um, Lord of the Rings, right? Return of the mm. King, right? That yeah. did win Best Picture, right? Now, granted, it also, you know, did have Peter Jackson for Best Director, and it also did win Best Adapted Screenplay as well, which is kind of like a legacy for all three Lord of the Ring films. So, mm-hmm. you know, even if it doesn't win, we'll get to adapted screenplay in, in a second. But even if Dune Part One doesn't get adapted screenplay, there's I think a good chance, kind of looking for a couple of years when Dune Part Two comes out, if that gets nominated for adapted screenplay, that depending on the competition, it has a really very real shot at getting adapted screenplay for that uh, for the sequel as well. But that's you know that's looking to the future. But then yeah, Lord of the Rings had all of the other best um, you know a lot of the technical categories as well um, mm-hmm. going into this, which I think you know I. Maybe this is a little bit of my personal bias going in there. I really like to do and now you know I would say you know kind of spoils for future episodes. I personally obviously power of the dog is kind of like the, the top gun here. That's it. I think Dune is probably my number two or number three film just because of the wide support of the technical categories, even though we are missing Danny Villeneuve in there, right? Like my favorite my top three I think would be uh Power of the Dog, Dune and West Side Story. Um Dune somewhere maybe two, maybe three, I'm not entirely sure yet. Um possibly uh, and you know there is a very real chance it could sneak down to Dark Horse depending on how the next couple of weeks pan out for its campaign um but you know i i really think that you know especially since the oscars maybe are inclined to want to be a little and you know the, the academy may be inclined to make it a little bit more broad appeal having dune be in there would be really good for the academy you know if people are want to see dune do well yeah which we're going to keep talking about this as we go down the categories but yeah it, it, you're right if it maybe like sweeps all of the technicals including getting the the screenplay which will sort of transition into this now could be a very good sign that, you know, there's enough support behind this movie that they don't need the director's branch or the acting branch to get this with the uh, best picture, especially because best picture is preferential voting. If you have everyone else in the Academy putting it at number one, that can really help its chances. But yeah, so let's, I feel like I did a really good segue there to talk about best adapted screenplay with what you were bringing up as well. This is an interesting one. I'm not too sure exactly how I feel about it. I sort of think it's just happy to be there. I don't, because it's only half a story, I don't think they're going to reward it with an Oscar. I think, much like you were talking about with Return of the King, where I can look at Dune Part 2 and Return of the King as very analogous to each other, where they're both sort of rewarding the series as a whole sort of thing. And so I don't think it's uh it has really any shot to win Best Adapted Screenplay for me. But if it does... I definitely think it's going to win Best Picture. 
Oh yeah, no, hundred percent agree. I definitely have it as like my fourth or even my fifth place uh, for this category. You know, I think Coda is my other happy to be there um, nominee in there. Um, you know, I think you know I, there's there's a clear favorite I think here, which we'll, we'll you'll talk about in the future episode. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely like half a story. Um, but you're kind of going back to like, hey, Dune Part, looking to Dune Part Two's chances. I think in a similar way, even though Denis Villeneuve got got snubbed this year's the Oscar, um, whenever Dune Part Two comes out, it's probably he's probably going to get his nomination for that at the very least not just for dune part one but maybe for the for both parts one and part two um which maybe mm-hmm. might be the reason that they ended up not voting for him uh, or nominating him this time around knowing he's kind of have, has like a, another shot at it for this for this franchise mm-hmm. all right uh let's move on to best cinematography this is an interesting category i think it's a very stacked category this year we've got uh, nightmare alley power of the dog tragedy of macbeth and West Side Story going up against it. The only one I haven't seen yet is West Side Story. I'm very excited for it. But yeah, this is a very stacked category overall, and I really think Dune is probably going to be the front runner to win it, maybe with Power of the Dog right there behind it. I love the cinematography in both Nightmare Alley and Tragedy of Macbeth, but I think because neither film has enough support uh, with enough categories, I don't think they really have a shot. So I would put Dune as a front runner for this. What about you? Yeah, so I think Dune is my favorite here. Um, you know, I, I think an interesting one, you know, just to think about for, for uh, is that you know West Side Story was the only one of these four nominees that was not uh, nominated by the American Cinematographer Society for their specific Guild Awards, right? Um, so you know, I think that kind of puts it out of contention, even though I think the cinematography there is really good. And um, so kind of like you know, by, and then you know, I think Power of the Dog does have kind of have like the more broad support, but I think the people who like doing cinematography really like Dune cinematography, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think that's where Dune's advantage over Power of the Dog comes in. And then Tragedy Macbeth and Nightmare Alley, you know, kind of like by positive elimination, they're somewhere in like number three and number four for me. Um, but yeah, Dune I think is definitely has it. You know, Greg Fraser, who's the who's the um who's the cinematographer here, um, did not uh has not yet won an Oscar, but he was nominated for Lion uh back in 2016, starring Def Patel. Um, which actually, you know, I remember seeing that film. I don't actually remember it having it like like the the not the cinematography being that outstanding in lion at least from what i remember of it um so looking you know but but kind of seeing what he's been able to do in these couple of years since then um definitely so that he's definitely leveled up his game so i think he definitely is is the favorite to get the cinematography here yeah okay i i agree there moving on we've got best film editing and as we talked about on your show Best editing and best picture are ones that really go sort of hand in hand. You've got sort of the three categories, picture, director, and editing. And they the between those, that really helps you sort of cement who you think is the front runners. Now, the best picture winning movie doesn't always win best editing, but it's always nominated for that. So we look mm-hmm. at the category and you can basically cross out both Don't Look Up and Tick, Tick, Boom from this category. So you're basically left with Dune, King Richard, and Power of the Dog. And I really feel like... We're going to get to it in a little bit, but King Richard, I really feel like it's not a part of the conversation. So you're looking at Dune or Power of the Dog, and it's going to be, is Dune going to sweep all the technicals, or is Power of the Dog going to kind of power through and get some really key wins? But because of saying that, I really think between those two, it's going to come down to Dune winning this, so I consider them a front runner. Yeah, so, you know, I think this is another stat that I kind of brought up when you came on the show. Um, but, you know, I'm going to skip ahead to another category real quick, which is sound. Um, so, historically, for the past 
several years. I forget the exact number, but you know, back last year with Sound of Metal, when it was one in the same category, when there was only one sound category, and then going back prior to that, when there were two sound categories, um, the winner of Best Editor has always won at least one sound category um, when they were, when they were two, and obviously last year won it, right? So if you, whoever you think is going to win sound is going to end up winning uh, editing in this case here, um, and I think you know again the only crossover nominees between editing and sound are of course dune and power of the dog again um so it's a question of who do you think has the better sound i think is going to kind of tell who has the better editing and i think again you know dune i think takes takes it away i think in the sound category but even you know uh you know going back to you know just the, the idea of the screenplay right like part of what makes dune's adaptation so good so you know even if it is going to be a two-part film right that makes this first part by itself so engaging is i think the editing for what would nominally be just a a a massively long you know really bogged down story with lots of like technical mumbo jumbo getting that editing down to like the bare minimum of being of what you need to push that narrative forward um even if it doesn't win adapted screenplay i think the editing is going to like kind of care is it that that's gonna you know if if it does get adapted screenplay it definitely will win editing um but Mm -hmm. even without adapted screenplay i think it's going to take editing um both by virtue of the story that it's trying to tell and how well it's cut it down and then also the the relationship between editing and sound i think yeah so you know i'm gonna skip ahead a little bit and go to sound as well it sounds like what you're saying is you also believe that dune is a front runner for sound correct yeah, yeah, fourth one for both. Yeah, I I agree with that, and and yeah, the connection between sound and editing, editing, you're you're definitely someone that really pushes that, and and, I, and I'm happy that you are are able to educate people of the connection between those two categories, and, and yeah, I agree with Power of the Dog and Dune being the only two crossover in both of those, and Power of the Dog is definitely not winning Best Sound. I like it, there there just isn't enough there for people to grasp on because unfortunately. It's not about nuance and subtlety with the best sound category. It's basically who makes the most realistic bang bang noises, and that would be Dune in this case. Yeah, well, I mean, technically, No Time to Die, I think, makes good bang bang noises, yes. but it's also not a for editing. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't yes. consider the front runner at that point. Yeah. All right, so we're going to jump back to uh, best production design. And this is another category where, once again, I think it's going to be the front runner. And another category where I think it's a really stacked group. I absolutely adored the production design of Nightmare Alley. Guillermo del Toro and his team did such a great job with that. Power of the Dog, I think, also is very interesting what they do with that. Tragedy of Macbeth, I enjoy how they basically just made the most intricate theatrical experience but shot it on film was beautiful i haven't seen west side story but what i've seen in the trailer and stills it looks beautiful great stacked category overall but i think dune is also taking this one yeah i mean this is like super close right i you know again we'll talk about nightmare alley in a little bit so i, I won't go into too much detail about it now but i will say it's a matter of degrees right it really is a matter of, i think preference at this point of who ends up winning right it's kind of the aesthetic right do you want like mm-hmm. a, a a sci-fi aesthetic for your production design um or do you want you know the the uh tangible like the more grounded gritty neo-noir um you know, you know frankly earth-based aesthetic period aesthetic of nightmare alley right um and, you know, I think that comes down to your preference of what you like. I really think, you know, personally, I'm, again, a big sci-fi fan, though. I also do love Nightmare Alley, um, which, again, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think Dune is, by the slimmest of margins, the favorite. Heck, you could even say that they both are kind of, I think, favorites for this category to some mm-hmm. degree. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Uh, so moving on to best original score. This is uh this is a interesting category because it's kind of a little bit all over the place. Like there's a few surprising nominations. I'm a little surprised that Encanto, Parallel Mothers, and Don't Look Up made it into this category. I'm not surprised The Power of the Dog because that was something a lot of people were really praising Johnny Greenwood's score. There were some snubs in this category. But Hans Zimmer doing Dune, I think he was, you know, kind of in full Hans Zimmer mode, which everyone is really used to and a big fan of. It's 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 big, it's bombastic, it's it really kind of hits you in the feelings. And and I think he does a great job with this, even though I've kind of been a little down on Hans Zimmer the last few years or so. I think this is a, a pretty solid score for him. And I think uh, I think he's the front runner for this category too. Yeah, so funny thing, actually, uh, Hans Zimmer has actually been nominated for, I think I last saw 12 or like one, two, three, four. Yeah, this is his 12th nomination uh, for Best Original Score. However, despite that, you know, he's actually only ever won once for Best Score um, for The Lion King back in 94. Um, so if he ends up uh, winning there, I think it's something going to be something like a 28th, I think, 28th year um, separation or something along those lines for between, be, his, be, between his two wins, which I think would be a set of record for the Oscars. That said, you know, I, I think this would be, again, I think, he is kind of like the favorite here, both by virtue of kind of like a legacy award, right? For everything that he's done up to this point. But again, also, I think Dune's score was like a really big part of selling the atmosphere um, of kind of like this 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 space opera, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, think, talking we'll talk about the others real quick. I mean, I think Parallel Mothers was a little bit of a surprise, but from what I've heard, it actually was kind of like a really good part. I'm going to go see it this weekend, like I mentioned. Um, don't look up power. To, don't look up. I was not really. A, I didn't really notice the score at all. Um, like you said, par- like you know, power of the dog. I did enjoy the score. Uh, I personally liked Spencer's score from Johnny Greenwood a little bit more than than his power of the dog score, um, which I think might be the reason I'm I'm not giving it more credence here because, mm. um, uh, you know, I mean, the power power of the dog ends up being. Um, like if it's the weaker score, but it's the one it, it's getting the nominations because it has Netflix's money behind it. Um, but in terms of like the quality, I think you know Spencer is better. So if they didn't get that, I think doing that's a kind of an ignorant case that Hans Zimmer has this. And then Encanto, I mean, everyone and their kid is basically had you don't we don't talk about Bruno stuck in their head for the last month, basically. Um, and even though that's not uh, even though that's not um, you know. Lin Manuel's work specifically on the score. Um, I think it's actually Jermaine Franco who's the uh, the first woman to actually score a Disney film, uh, animated film ever. Um, you know, I think she actually did a really good job uh, with the scores. I, I'm not actually surprised given how integral music is for the story of Encanto. But again, I think Hans Zimmer is going to take this by doing by both by virtue of being the best score and also for his legacy work. I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, next up is best visual effects, and this is probably going to be the easiest win for dune out of all of them you know this category is usually a bit of a mishmash of really terrible movies that are you know basically sort of robots fighting and and you get a few surprises here and there some more practical effects some not but yeah you look at this category it's got free guy no time to die shang chi and spider-man no way home I can easily rule out three of these movies of having no chance in hell. And the, I think only way Spider-Man no way home maybe steals it is, is I don't know. Everyone that was disappointed that didn't get nominated for best picture ends up voting for it here because it's the only nomination Spider-Man got. 
But uh, but let's be real. This is probably the most locked of all locked categories of the entire night that Dune is walking away with this award. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, you know, to be fair, we we are getting the most cheerful moment according to film Twitter, right? Uh, for the Oscars, which they're putting together. But uh, so No Way Home has that going for it as well. But yeah, I mean, you know, the visual effects here are entirely other level. Um, you know, I am kind of sad that Godzilla versus Kong and um, and uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife didn't get nominated just because I really enjoyed the visual effects there. But yeah, I mean, Dune by a country mile and and more uh, for visual yeah. effects. Not really much more to be said there. Yeah. Best makeup and hairstyling. This is a bit of an interesting category because I can look at this and be like, okay, if there's a dune sweep happening, you know, it's going to win stuff in some categories where it's maybe not the real front runner, but definitely in the conversation. And this could be one of the ones where it gets swept up in everything and ends up winning. But it's got some interesting category, interesting competition, sorry. Coming to America, Cruella, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and House of Gucci. And this is an interesting category. I say that because the Academy really doesn't care if the movie is good or not in this category. You know, it really is about the technical skill. And it's something I I sort of appreciate about it. Whereas, you know, something like visual effects can kind of be a little bit all over the place. You know, we've got Academy Award winning Suicide Squad, which is always an embarrassment to talk about. Uh, Shout out to Sammy, who loves to bring that up every time he's a guest on this show. But uh, yeah, you know, Cruella with its very unique look for for Emma Stone and everyone else in it, or The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which did a ton of prosthetic work on Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield, House of Gucci with the million and a half wigs that Lady Gaga was wearing and all the prosthetic work under Jared Leto and stuff like that. So this is this is definitely an interesting category. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, Paulo. Yeah, I mean, this one's a little bit hard for me to really judge because uh, I think the real front runner, uh, Eyes of Tammy Faye, by that by most people's estimations, I haven't seen yet. Um, and then coming to America, you know, I know the original had a lot of really good makeup prosthetic work. Um, I haven't really seen the the second one yet for the Death Race. Um, that's going to be one of the later ones I do. So I, I can't really speak to how well those do it. Um, though I, I think just my reputation coming to America is very much happy to be there, um, you know, in, 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 in the first place. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of love for House of Gucci, so I don't think it, it really has much of a shot. Um, you know, I think I think just without having to see them, I think I can't really speak about Tammy Faye, but I would have Dune at the very least, I think a dark horse, maybe tied with Cruella there. Um, if Tammy Faye is as good as the prosthetics seem to, uh, as the makeup seems to be, um, you know, I think, I think the thing going, holding Dune back in this category is that the makeup is not as in your face. Right. Um, yes. Whereas, you know, something like, uh, you know, last year, for example, Ma Rainey's black bottom, you know, the hair and makeup there, which, you know, granted, was not for perhaps as extravagant as, say, Hillbilly Elegy or even Pinocchio uh, for something. You know, Pinocchio also was kind of happy to be there, unfortunately, um, justice for Il Tono. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that makeup for Dune is not, unfortunately, going to be the most flashy thing here. Um, that, I think that's kind of the only thing holding it back from being the true favorite here. I think to some degree, the flashier the makeup, I think the, the, the more that the Academy will like it for this category. Yeah. If if I was a betting man, this would be the category that I would not want to put any money on because I can see it going a whole bunch of different ways. I like your rationale and, I, and I'm definitely on board with that. I think if there, the one thing that they usually tend to do award is flashiness and Dune doesn't have the flashiness. Eyes of Tammy Faye, I think mm. 
the fact that uh, Jessica Chastain is also nominated for Best Actress, I think that really is going to help it in favor. In terms of Coming to America, I did just watch it yesterday. Rough watch. It's not very funny. But the makeup work is incredible because they make uh, Arsenio Hall and um, Eddie Murphy play multiple characters, multiple old men as well. And so they do some really great work where – there's there's one Arsenio Hall character where I legit had to look it up because I was like, who is playing this character? And I did not realize that it was Arsenio Hall playing him, uh, this sort of like shaman character. And they did such a great job with the makeup and like he has no teeth going on and like he's got like this uh, really white dreadlocks with a huge forehead that looks nothing like Arsenio Hall. So they did a great job with that. I, I actually would be fine with it winning makeup because... Weirdly enough, Eddie Murphy movies, Eddie Murphy loves doing big prosthetic work. You look through his whole career, he's always done this sort of thing where he doesn't mind sitting in a makeup chair for, you know, six hours to look like a, a crazy person, basically. But yeah, yeah right. uh, I, I I agree. Dune, I would probably put it as a dark horse only because it might get swept up in, in all the other wins. But if I'm realistically like looking at this sort of category uh, on its own, I don't think it really has a shot. I'd probably put it at like number three or four. Yeah, and and well, random tangent on coming on on Eddie Murphy. I really wish that uh, my name is Dolomite had gotten nominated a couple oh, of years back. Um, yeah. That one was really good. Yeah, that that the the fact that that movie was almost completely ignored by the Academy was, was such a shame because it was such a great movie. They just really don't like Eddie Murphy. He's he's always been kind of prickly towards the Academy, and when he didn't win for Dreamgirls, I know he made it very well known that he was not happy with the Academy. So yeah, it's a shame that they kind of ignore Eddie Murphy when he does do some really solid work. So moving on to the next category, we've got best costume designs. It's the last one we want to talk about. And kind of like I've been saying this whole grouping, I I think it's sort of the the front runner for it. It's up against Cruella, Cyrano, uh, Nightmare Alley, and West Side Story. All of these also have really solid costumes. I think Cruella, if they... If they want to go flashy, we'll probably go there. But I think Dune has some really interesting stuff, especially if they compare it to the David Lynch version where it was so comical and over the top, whereas this seems much more grounded. I really think they'll end up going for Dune. And there's some really staggering costume sequences early on in the movie when they're sort of setting up the different uh, worlds and the peoples from these worlds and all that sort of stuff. There's some really great moments of, of costumes. I'm still a little bitter that Spencer didn't get nominated in this category, but, you know, we're not here to talk about Spencer. Yeah, uh, I feel you on Spencer for sure. Um, I don't know. I I really like when I saw Cruel. I saw it actually in theaters. Um, like I think it was like Memorial Day weekend or something when it came out. Um, so I went to go see Cruel in theaters, and I walked out knowing that this was going to be nominated for best uh best uh costume. Um, mm-hmm. kind of the same way you know back pre pandemic, I walked out of the theater and I knew Emma was going to get nominated for best costume as well. Um, which yeah. you know. Both came true, even though Emma ended up not winning the category, which I kind of preferred they would have won. Um, so maybe yeah. what does that say about Cruella here? Um, no, but I, I really do think that Cruella's, like the whole, I think the whole conceit of the film being around the fashion industries in London of that time period, I think really helps plays into, like, you know, when you think, like, it's kind of the thing, it's kind of like an association game, right? You think of Cruella, the first thing you think of is costumes. Dune, mm-hmm. it's probably like the seventh or eighth thing you think about in the film uh, before anything else. So I think that might be when, when 
Oscar voters are going and filling out their ballots. They see Cruella and they guys kind of like gut instinct, I think, where they might go for um, more than anything else. Um, I would say, you know, uh, I, I haven't seen Serrano yet, so I can't really speak there. And, you know, West Side Story, I mean, their costumes were fine. I don't think it, it, it kind of stood out in in your face in the same way that Cruella's did. Um, so Dune, I think, again, it might get swept up in, in this kind of the technical achievement of it all. Um, but I think if whoever is voting for the Academy for it and in the Academy sees that, Hey, maybe I have a lot of votes for Dune. Maybe I want to spread it out the love a little bit. I think costume and also makeup to some degree are categories where they're like, okay, I'll give some other films a chance to, to let win something instead of Dune. Um, so I think that's mm-hmm. the other reason I think that these two categories do this kind of more a dark horse than the favorite per se. If I had a vote, I would definitely be voting for nightmare alley though. Yeah, I yeah I think for my dark horse it's between Nightmare Alley, right? Like I think Nightmare Alley's and we'll, we'll, again we'll talk about Nightmare Alley on in a little bit, but it has a lot of like a lot of groundswell support within the Academy. I think given that it got a lot of Guild nominations, but didn't really get a lot, even though it didn't get as much uh, buzz leading up into nominations for the Oscars. Yeah. So those are the 10 categories for Dune. I have Dune probably walking away with about six to seven awards. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah. Yeah. I have it at six. Um, you know, for sure. I, I think, I think again, cinematography, editing, production, score, and sound and visual effects are my six. Um, for sure. I think with, you know, makeup and, 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 and costume as like a maybe, um, and then best picture, you know, I would like it to win, but I don't think it's realistic in a world where Power of the Dark currently exists. Okay. Yeah, we we sound like we're we're basically on the same page for for every category there. Yeah. That said, I would that said, I will think that I do think though, you know, based on my estimations, that's probably going to be the film that takes home the most Oscars uh, for the Absolutely. night. I think. Absolutely. It looks like it's going to probably be uh, Dune winning uh, like almost all the technicals, and then probably the the next best film is probably only going to walk away with maybe three or four awards. Yeah. Yeah. All right, now moving on to our next Best Picture contender, and that is King Richard. And this movie has six nominations. They are Best Picture, Best Actor for Will Smith, Best Supporting Actress for Andrew New Ellis, Best Original Screenplay, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Song for Be Alive. So let's start things off with Best Picture. We kind of briefly talked about it a little bit when we were talking about Dune. But I put this firmly in the category of just happy to be there. It's probably going to end up in the 8 to 10 slot. We obviously don't know how the actual votes look out, look on Oscar night. I would love it if they released, you know, at least just the best picture ballots to be like, hey, and this is how it all shook out in the end. Because that would be really interesting to sort of see what Academy members actually think. But uh, I, I have a hard time seeing this. Because it's a preferential ballot, which means it really rewards movies that get ranked high up on people's ballots, I have a hard time seeing this gang high up 
one, because it's got a lack of nominations, and two, it doesn't really have a, a broad enough support. You take out the two acting nominations, and suddenly this movie looks a whole lot less impressive. So I'm firmly putting this in the just happy to be there category. What about you? Yeah, bringing up the fact that it's a preferential ballot, I think it definitely is like the most, well, yeah, it kind of is the most meh of all the films out there. Now, granted, it could pull a green book where, like, you know, there's a lot of other films everyone likes, and this kind of like is the one most average liked by everyone, but I don't think that's the case this year. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, it's somewhere in that eight, nine range spot. You know, I think, unfortunately, Nightmare Alley probably was the 10th one to get nominated. Uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of like of overall support. Um, I, wa- I did initially have it above Don't Look Up, but thinking about it a little bit more, Don't Look Up is the film to really get people really heated and really in support of it, um, even though I really don't think it's that great of a film. Uh, I mean, it's fine, but it's not th- that great of a film to be best picture. So I did have King Richard a little bit above it, but in hindsight, I think with... There are people who are really into Don't Look Up. I think that they'll put, give it the ads over King Richard. Um, so yeah, kind of like maybe the 8, 9, 10 spot for King Richard here. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to Best Actor for Will Smith. And this is this is the one that, that absolutely kills me. I hated this movie. I also really hated Will Smith's performance. I haven't found him to be that interesting of an actor for most of his career. Some of the stuff he does especially the comedy back in the the 90s and the early 2000s, I was a fan of. But overall, I'm not that big of a fan of Will Smith as an actor. You look at this category and you got Javier Bardem from Being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom, and Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth. There are no real, real definitive front runners for this. You know, for a while, it looked like maybe Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, I know early on when it first came out, there was a lot of support behind Andrew Garfield. I know you have a lot of uh, love for that performance. I have a lot of love for Denzel Washington's performance. Uh, Will Smith looks like the front runner. I don't, I don't, like, this is a very shaky front runner status. I could definitely see Benedict or even Andrew winning it as well. But I would definitely probably put Will Smith in the front runner status, and that kind of kills me to say so. Hmm. I think just going off of the vibe right now, at this moment in time, yeah, I think that Will Smith is kind of the lead for King Richard, partly because, you know, similar to how Hans Zimmer was with score for Dune, this would kind of be the equivalent of a legacy for everything that Will Smith has done, not just for movies, but for the entertainment industry in general, right? Uh, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Men in Black, which was never going to get nominated for the Oscars, <laughs> Independence Day, you know, all of these different things that Will Smith has done for, you know, the the entertainment industry. Um, this would kind of be his, his you know, his crowning for that. Um, that being said, you know, there is a lot of money behind Netflix's campaign, uh, both for Power of the Dog and also Tick, Tick, Boom. So I could see, and I think of the two, I think traditionally, I think Power of the Dog is the kind of is the kind of campaign that uh, most Oscar nominees would like, I think, a little bit more. Um, whereas I think Tick, Tick, Boom kind of maybe be appeal to a more younger audience, which the Academy is, you know, trying to, you know, make their, their membership a little bit younger, a little bit more diverse. Um, and, you know, also for Tick, Tick, Boom's favor, it might be a case where, hey, you know, Tick, Tick, Boom didn't get nominated for Best Picture, but a lot of people really love the film. This is one of the few places where it realistically has a south. Maybe they'll put their weight behind Andrew Garfield for this category. Um, so who knows? Maybe Andrew Garfield is able to sneak a win uh, by that virtue, but that, he's more of a dark horse in that case. Um, but yeah, as, a, as of this this moment king richard is i think the favorite 
though again like you said very shaky i think if anything comes out maybe about kind of more broadly about will smith's leanings towards vaccinations um and so on like (laughs) what kind of message that might send if he ends up getting nominated um i don't know if that will ever come into play it depends on whatever news comes out between now and when the academy votes um you know what happened a lot can happen in, in the next month or so yeah uh we're gonna talk about best supporting actress next but as I was saying to you before we start recording, I look at these four categories, actor, actress, supporting actress, supporting actress, and I don't think there's a single solid front runner like uh, this person was destined to win from months before the nomination. And then one, by the time Oscar night rolls around that there was you know, no question about it. This year I look at it and I honestly I, – I could pick four people and I can go zero for four and that wouldn't surprise me at all. Because it is all over the place. You're looking at the different, uh, the different, uh, different awards shows happening around, uh, different critics groups, things like that. And there doesn't seem to be any real consensus. Usually there's like, of the four categories, two to three of the people where they're winning every single award along the way. They're being nominated for everything. They're winning everything. We're looking at these and we're like, every award show is having a different group of people being nominated. How are you supposed to get any sort of information from this? I think I think it was the fact that like uh, I think for the past several years the BAFTAs have always had the exact have had the exact same winner as the best act lead actress category. Uh, this year they are zero for five overlap between mm-hmm. the two between the BAFTAs for that category. So yeah, like you said, definitely kind of all over the place. Yeah, and like I know the Globes are a complete joke, but there usually was at least some semblance you can get of where some voters are thinking uh, because. There's no overlap because they're a completely different group. Golden Globes are is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and then the Oscars are industry people. But there would at least be some be like, oh, this is what people in the entertainment world are thinking, and and I have no idea what's going at all. Uh, but let's look. Let's go over to Best Supporting Actress for Ingenue Ellis. She's up against Jesse Buckley in The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose in West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, and Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog. This category. I have I have no idea what exactly is happening. It, I think Ariana DeBose is the front runner. I'm eventually going to talk about her when we get to the West Side Story episode. But other than that, like Kirsten Dunst, I know a lot of people are a big fan of her her performance, but it's such a, a quieter, subtle role, and at times she kind of gets overshadowed by several of her co-stars. Anjanu Ellis, ironically, much like her character in King Richard, is overshadowed by Will Smith, and I think he's going to take up a bulk of the campaigning from this film, so she's going to sort of be a bit of an afterthought, and I think that's really going to hinder her chances as well. So I, I don't know exactly where she slots in. I would probably put her in the long shot category, probably in the three to four range. What about you? Yeah, I have her in the long shot category. Just kind of going through like my prediction ballot, I think... I think honestly of the I think of the four categories, I think that supporting actors is the second most locked. Um, I think supporting actor is the most locked with Cody Smith McPhee from Power of the Dog, um, Ariana DeBose, and then Ariana DeBose as West Side Story. Um, looking kind of like as the at the ballot as a whole. I don't think West Side Story is going to win that much, unfortunately. Um, you know, I think it's going to get overshadowed in Best Director. I think uh, it's not going to win Best Picture. Um, and then you know, I think a lot of the technical categories, Dune kind of has locked up at this point, right? Um, so really, the only place that uh, West Side Story has a real shot to getting a not to getting a nom- a win uh, is uh, for Ariana DeBose in Supporting Actress, which I think kind of like with Minari last year, um, Yo Jung Yoon actually ended up 
being the only winner from Minari last year, uh, kind of in the, in in the sense of hey, you know, Minari's up against you know the power the the beast that is Nomadland and a lot of the same categories. But you know, I think that people rallied around the Yun in supporting actors. I think people are going to do the, the same for your West Side Story here. So that kind of has her as the favorite there. Um, but I think the dark horse there is then Kirsten Dunst, because like you said, uh, Anzu New Ellis is going to get kind of overshadowed by Will Smith's campaign to some degree, whereas Netflix has the dollars to throw around to, you know, campaign for Power of the Dog, basically. And yeah, sorry, there's a lot of going on in Power of the Dog, but it's kind of like the cohesive whole of it, right? The fact that, you know, cop, the Je- uh, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst both are, um, are, are a couple, you know, with kids and they both got nominated for supporting actors in the, in the same film. Um, I think might, you know, be go away there. So I think that's where that's what gives Power of the Dog a little bit of the edge. Um, and then, yeah, King Richard, I think is, you know, Anzu New Ellis kind of comes in third in that point. Um, Lost Daughter, unfortunately, will just kind of like be overshadowed, I think, um, as like overall completely. Um, even though I do, if you remember, if, if you listen to my episode, uh, with Alex, and uh and adele from academy of death racers you know when we were previewing lost daughter um you know, i think we thought that you know jesse buckley really was the strongest part of the entire uh film there um uh, but you know i think it's gonna get overlooked it was kind of surprised that he got nominated at all and then belfast you know judy no one was seeing judy dance getting nominated um they all thought it would be cocky on the balfe so you know i think her campaign has kind of just starting now basically and has mm-hmm. and isn't going to be able to catch up so king richard Anthony ellis right in the center for supporting actress i think yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying there, uh, and and Jesse Buckley, I agree. I I really didn't care for Lost Daughter at all, but I do think Jesse Buckley was the best part of that movie. Uh, but yeah, where you kind of have everything shaking out, I I agree with you too. It's just a matter of is the Academy going to agree with us there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to best original screenplay, it's up against Belfast, Don't Look Up, Licorice Pizza, and the Worst Person in the World. This is an interesting category. Uh, I could see maybe Kenneth Branagh winning this. I can also maybe see Adam McKay winning this for Don't Look Up. King Richard, I think, is kind of solidly middle of the pack. Licorice Pizza, who knows what's happening. I think Worst Person in the World is definitely sort of just happy to be there, where it just looks nice on that movie as a whole. The fact that it broke out of just the international film category, that was really cool for that movie to do to, to land a second nomination. So yeah, I would probably put uh, best original screenplay solidly in the long shot. Once again, probably in the three range. I actually, uh, I don't know. I, if you listen to my episode again, when we previewed King Richard before the nominations came out, uh, this was with the classic movie lies guy, live guys, Jeff and Pierre. Um, we went on about King Richard and how, like, honestly, going back to the acting category real quick, I don't think Will Smith was that bad of an actor in this film. Mm. <laughs> I think he just had a terrible screenplay to work with where the screenplay basically came down to, hey, William- Richard Williams is always right, never is challenged, never has to grow. And that's a problem in the screenplay, right? Yeah, so part, part of that comes down to the actor. But if that's the screenplay that he as an actor is given, he at the very least delivers on that screenplay to the best of his ability, right? So it, it, I, I could maybe justify him taking a taking a W for lead actor there. I can't justify, uh, you know, the, the quality of the screenplay for best original screenplay here. And frankly, I think that might just be a case of, you know, uh, you know aside from the myriad number of smaller films that probably had better screenplays, but just don't have the campaigning dollars behind them to get them in the academies that tends to get nominated in the first place, kind of like the biggest budget from the biggest studio films. Uh, you know, I think, frankly, there was a little bit of a lack of great original 
original screenplays this year. Um, I think all of the power is in adapted screenplay this year. And so, you know, I, I think King Richard, I think, frankly, he's just happy to be there um, mm. and, and happy that people didn't realize, hey, they're actually better original screenplays uh, <laughs> in, 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 in smaller, from smaller studios coming out there. So, you know, I mean, breaking it down real quick, I haven't seen Liquid Pizza. Um, I'm presuming it's kind of the front runner just based on the love of Paul Thomas Anderson. Belfast is probably my second choice. Is, 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 my guess would be the second choice, kind of in the sense that I don't think it's going to win much else. And this would be a case where they would reward Belfast. Um, worst person in the world and don't look up. Um, the fact that worst person got nominated at all, I think means there was actually some sort of support for worst person in the world. I think right when the nominations came out, there was a lot of buzz about the film, especially in the entertainment industry. Um, and it's had like some pretty decent run to the box office for its, for its release size. Um, and don't look up obviously is massively successful on Netflix. So I think those kind of have some sort of quote unquote popular support in different definitions of the word popular. So King Richard kind of mm-hmm. just kind of somehow snuck in there without anyone noticing basically. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a little bit of pushback on a, a point you made earlier about Will Smith doing a decent job with a bad script. I think the script is worse because of Will Smith. Everything, this is, this is me sort of being a little conspiratorial here. I haven't seen anything to, to substantiate, substantiate this, but what I know about Will Smith he, one, he was a producer on the movie. Two, he really likes to have his way and was really from the get-go gunning for this to be his Oscar movie. And I would not be shocked if my biggest problem with the movie is this is a movie that is supposedly supposed to be about the Williams sisters and said is about their dad. I don't like that. That's not cool to me. You know, the girls are the ones who actually did the achievement and became, you know, the best at their sport, not their father. And so that really bugged me from the get-go of why is this movie even made the way it is? The father should be a supporting character to the Venus and Serena characters. So I would not be surprised if the original screenplay was a little bit more balanced in that sense. But when Will Smith came on board, he made the script change to be the story about him. And you're absolutely right that that basically the plot of the story is uh, Will Smith's character is right and everyone else is wrong. And you just have to wait for everyone to find out that he was right the whole time even though he was a huge asshole about it all along the way. So I would not be shocked if the script was maybe a bit more balanced, a bit more interesting uh, with regards to the the daughter's uh, storylines and instead got shifted to the Will Smith character. Yeah. I don't know. And that's I mean, why the script doesn't, isn't that good. Yeah. I mean, part of that, that, that could very well be true. Again, we don't have anything to substantiate that. I don't know. I just feel like there is, I think I remember seeing somewhere that like the Williams sisters do credit their father to that degree basically yeah um and since they are also producers on the films i wouldn't be surprised if like they didn't really want to challenge the their image or their memory of their father in that way so you know i we can't point the finger exactly at who is to blame for that um it's probably a little bit of everyone involved frankly um that this movie turned out the way it did yeah for sure all right uh moving on to best film editing we talked about for the dune category Uh, i have no idea why this movie got nominated for this this is Firmly in the just happy to be there category for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to editing, you know, Dune, number one, Power of the Dogs, kind of the dark horse just because it's the uh, only other one also in sound and also uh, Best Picture nominee. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom is my long shot here um, because it is another sound-based film, which I think gives it a lot. And also the fact that it goes back and forth between the different timelines, I think, works out Mm -hmm. really well for its favor. Don't Look Up and King Richard are both entirely way too long uh, films that really should have been edited down a little bit more to be more lean and and, and more uh, more better paced 
chasing. So yeah, I think that's kind of very much happy to be there for King Richard. And I and I think like I know, I know I'm trying to look at this as objectively as possible. I'm a little bit higher on Don't Look Up than you are. I didn't love it. I I just was fine with it. It was it was a perfectly mediocre film for me. It has very flashy editing, and I wouldn't surprise me if that maybe sways a few votes its way as well. So that puts it immediately ahead of King Richard for me because King Richard doesn't have flashy editing. It isn't a front runner for best picture, best sound or anything like that. It just sort of is there. And I, and like there isn't a ton of tennis in it. So it's not like they edited the tennis scenes brilliantly. So I don't even know like how it got in this category. It's, it's, it's absolutely baffling to me that this movie made it to this category. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't say much more than that. <laughs> all right so the last one it was nominated for is best original song and that is be alive with music and lyrics by dixon and beyonce i this is this is an interesting one because i really think no time to die the billy eilish song is kind of the front runner even though uh it's a song i'm not super high on because it doesn't have the the bombast that i like from a bond theme but it's been popular for basically two years now because it got released before the movie came out and then the movie got pushed because of the pandemic. So it's been in the spotlight for quite a while. They nominated the wrong song from Encanto because they didn't submit the right song. The Belfast song, I think, just doesn't really have any momentum behind it. And the fact that Van Morrison has been pretty openly anti-vaxxer, I think, is going to scare a bunch of people away and they don't even want him at the Oscars, apparently. And then there's the Diane Warren song, which you know, shoot me in the head now for having to watch this stupid movie when it comes around to it. I think, I don't, I don't know if it's a, I I think No Time to Die is the front runner, but I think this is maybe a a long shot to Dark Horse. Where where do you stand with it? Uh, First off, what do you mean? Diane Norman is totally going to go 13 times the term, right? Uh, Yes, lucky number 13. (laughs) Um, No, but I mean, okay, so breaking it down, right? I mean, the last two Bond films, you know, had the film, uh, had the song by Adele and by Sam Smith, which both won the Oscar. So that's kind of in their favor to kind of be the by president favorite for this film. Um, you know, so I think No Time to Die is the favorite in that regard. And Kanto, I think, comes in as the uh, dark horse in this category, kind of the second place for me. Um, partly, yes, it, you know, people say it should have been, you know, uh, we don't talk about Bruno or even Surface Presser. Um, frankly, you could probably could have filled the entire category with Encanto songs, and I think people would have been fine with that. Um, but the old know, Disney style where they would yeah. get three nominations. Yeah. Well, funny fact: this is the first year that Disney actually has three nominations, actually, in the animated feature film. Um, yeah. Or do you mean for original song? For original song, oh, where yeah, like, yeah. that would be the case where it'd be like Frozen, three songs from Frozen, three th- yeah. three songs from Lion King. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, but that said, I think Encanto also has to support on that, you know, similar to No Time to Die, it actually was also in three categories as well. Um, score as well as song as well as animated feature. And the fact that literally everyone knows about Encanto, um, I think goes in its favor here. Um not to mention, you know, also that of these films, I think Encanto's song is the only one that actually shows up at a pivotal plot point in the movie and not just as uh, a credit song. I think Van Morrison's song for Belfast is technically the opening song of the film as opposed to the mm-hmm. credit song. But yep. regardless, it's still, you know, I think the, the those Orgueritas underscoring like an actual emotional moment in the film. That's my pick just because it actually does something for the film. Um you know, jokes aside, four good days. I don't think Diane Warren is actually is actually going to win. Um, and then yeah, what you said about Belfast and people not being into Van Morrison's uh, at the moment is kind of puts it at a long shot. Um, 
you know, frankly, I think King Richard got nominated because it's a Beyonce song and they want Beyonce to perform at the Oscars. Uh, and so that is basically why I got nominated. I'm really surprised that uh, Just Look Up from Don't Look Up didn't get nominated. Um, one, it was actually a movie song in the movie. Two, getting Ariana Grande to perform at the Oscars would have been nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is more a long shot than anything else. Really, the two front runners here are No Time to Die and Encanto, basically. Yeah, I, I completely agree with your with your rationale there. I'm sort of feeling in the exact same boat, uh, where it's probably the number three. And uh, and yeah, we got to give a, a shout out to Jeff from Classic Movies Live, whose rant about uh, this being the worst category, not because of who gets nominated, who wins, actually, who does get nominated, who wins, but rather what this category should be. And, and his whole thing is end credit songs should not be eligible that the song should actually be a part of the movie and part of the reasoning and i would actually say opening credit songs so something like uh belfast and no time to die which both of the songs come at the beginning i think serve more of a purpose than a song coming at the very end because it sets up the mood it tells you what to expect and then sort of the movie plays out whereas an end credit song is basically just like hey what famous person can we sing get them to sing what this movie was about in themes while and, while you while what, you're walking out of the theater so you may not even even yes, listen to the mu- music exactly because with a bond song it sets up the movie you you sort of know exactly what you're getting based on that title sequence and they do such a good job with it so it makes sense that Billie Eilish uh for her song No Time to Die is the front runner for it but yeah like this being an end credit song is is an immediate ding for me. And ever since I first heard Jeff go on this rant, I, th- I think a year or two ago, I've been fully on the same board of, yes, end credit song should not be uh, eligible for this award. <laughs> Play Yaya Ding Dong. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so shout out to Jeff for that. Venus and Serena, gonna shake up this world. So let's move on to our last film, and that is Nightmare Alley. It's got four nominations, Best Picture, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, and Best Costume Design. This is basically like Dune Light, where it's in uh, only technical categories, just a whole lot less of them. I love, 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 love this movie. It was so beautiful to look at. I love the performances. I loved the slow burn thriller of it. But we're not here to talk about my actual thoughts on this movie. Let's talk about its odds for Best Picture. And, and I, I actually think, I don't think it's just happy to be there. I think I would put it in the long shot category because I think with preferential ballots, it's not going to be a whole lot of people's number one or number two, but I think it could easily be there, you know, the three to five range and it could pick up some votes. Like I said earlier, we don't see how the actual ballots end up turning out, but I would not be shocked if this is sort of middle of the pack based on preferential voting. What do you think? Yeah, I think. I think thinking about it more and thinking about how, you know, I mentioned before that Dune has a lot of support from the technical branches, right? I think Nightmare Alley in the same way does, right? It would probably be the technical categories 
uh, second or third favorite movie because it's kind of reflecting what they do, right? Um, and so, you know, even though they might not be the biggest branches of the Academy, they still are there, right? And so I think mm-hmm. probably talking about, I think it probably comes up to a long shot. Um, I think something like uh, Licorice Pizza or a Sadly Coda, which I really like, probably drops down, you know, in, in its place. Um, that being said, you know, yeah, I think, I think part of the reason that people are thinking, oh, it's just happy to be there is the fact that going into the nomination process, this was like number 14, number 15 on most people's lists. And so the fact that they got in over presumably what most people thought would be tick, tick, boom, um, you know, kind of is the the fact that it's both happy to be there and that it barely made the nom- Most people think that it barely made the nomination process at all, basically. Yeah, it seemed to beat out stuff like Tick, Tick, Boom or Being the Ricardos, which sort of seemed like the, the more likely 10th film. I think what really hurt... This movie was the fact that it came out so late, so no one saw it. So it, it wasn't came on out the, real It came radar. out the same weekend as Spider-Man: No Way Home. Exactly. Yeah, and and so no one was as SNL famous par- parodied. Stop going to see Spider-Man: No Way Home. Um, you're causing COVID to spread. Um, Nightmare Alley was yeah was unfortunately shafted in that regard. Obviously, completely different crowds. I don't think most people, other than people like us who go and see everything, mm. people like us would see it but everyone else would be like i'm seeing spider-man what the hell is nightmare alley but guillermo del toro does have a bit of support considering he has previously won best picture with shape of water so i wouldn't be shocked if there is a uh, a fervent fan base in the academy that absolutely adore him and his work yeah i think that comes there and i think you know the next category coming out you know cinematography um which they got nominated for i think actually also plays into why it probably got some last minute support um, that kind of went under radar, the radar, I think. So, um, you know, if you don't mind me transitioning for you to, to cinematography, please, please. Um, so, what, when did you, like, how did, like, what format did you see uh, Nightmare Alley in? Was it color or black and white? I saw the color one. Yeah. So, actually, I actually saw it in black and white, um, which, you know, it came out in color, right? December 17th or so. And then they started, and then people are like, wow, this is like a really noir film. Maybe this would be a black and white version. Surprise, surprise. Searchlight actually did make a black and white version of the film, which they started slowly releasing out in various theaters around the country, eventually, you know, having multiple uh, cities having it and, and, you know, having multiple versions of it available. Um, and I, that's when I saw it. And, and by God, the cinematography in Nightmare Alley is just stunning on the black and white. It works. It's amazing because, you know, I was listening to the Director's Guild podcast and he was mentioning how, like, they use different colors to represent different themes, different individuals in the film, which I never got because it was black and white. But the fact that they were able to get the high contrast and, like, the noir look, which fits the film in the black and white version, which presumably I think some people, some Academy members in L.A. might have gone and seen to get them to go and made them go vote for it, um, combined with the fact that he also made it work in color means that I think on a technical marvel, this is just like stunning, I think, right? Like that Nightmare mm-hmm. Alley could accomplish something to this level. Um, also helping, I think, is the fact that it's coming out, I believe, on HBO Max or Hulu. I forget which one. Um, but it's coming out on a streaming service as well, um, if it hasn't already at this point. Um, so maybe that also helped kind of like leading into nominations. It came out around that time. So maybe Academy voters were able to actually get a chance to see it um, on streaming when they were voting, basically, and kind of like help them out there uh, get get nominated here or for best picture overall friends of the show scare traducing did a great podcast episode about this where they broke it all down and it was great callum and Gisella did a great job really praising this movie and everything that it has going for it 
But yeah, I uh, cinematography is a bit of an interesting one. Obviously, we talked about how Dune is the real front runner in this. It's a stacked category for me. I would personally probably put it maybe number two behind Tragically Tragedy of Macbeth, uh, or maybe number three behind Power of the Dog. But yeah, it's probably going to be just happy to be there because I I really think that uh, Dune's the front runner. Power of the Dog with its best picture momentum probably is behind it. And then West Side Story and Tragedy Macbeth as well, I think, have a bit more momentum that would probably uh, propel it if it did have the chance. So I I really think uh, Nightmare Alley, unfortunately, is just happy to be there. Yeah, I I would put it as a bit of a long shot. Like my number one to do, number two, Power of the Dog. Uh, Long shot, I'm considering three and four. Um, is somewhere between Mm -hmm. Tragedy Macbeth and Nightmare Alley. And maybe that's just because me in my head, they're both black and white films, basically. Um, Even though one technically is in color, uh, I just happen to see the black and white version of it. Um, And then West Side Story, again, I think I mentioned it. Um, it's the only one not nominated by the Academy, uh, the uh, Association of uh, Cinema- the, the American Cinematographer Society Guild Awards, um, which I think is, yeah. hold- is holding that one back. So I think Nightmare Alley um, kind of comes in at number three or number four for me uh, in this case, uh, just because the Academy mm-hmm. loves, you know, um, you know, if they do- if there's one thing they love more than black and white, it's that they love the landscape shots, basically, which Power of the Dog yes. definitely has. Absolutely. So moving on to best production design, this is a, once again, probably going to be one by Dune, as we said earlier, but, uh, I I could see, um, Nightmare Alley being a bit of a dark horse. This movie has such a great look to it with it sort of, you know, I'm going to talk about with the last category as well, but it's, it's kind of broken up into two different films. You got the first half, which takes place on the carnival circuit Mm -hmm. where it's very grimy and dirty and very, low-class, low-brow sort of stuff, but also heightened at times. And then it switches, and it, the second half of the movie is all like the high-class world of, of 1930s uh, of America, New York, New York City, yeah. stuff like that. And so it's all super beautiful to look at. You know, it's the right in the middle, the Art Deco era, just after the Art Deco era, and, you know, all this gold and, and beautiful, luxurious wood and all this great stuff. And he really fills the frame with so much beauty that it would not shock me if there was if there was any chance of slipping by Dune. I think Nightmare Alley is going to be, this is, this is the one category it maybe, maybe, maybe has a shot to get. So I would probably put it in the Dark Horse status. Yeah, same thing here. I think, you know, again, listening to the director's cut podcast apparently that that tenth sequences like in the carnival they apparently sought all of those not on the set they saw them actually outside um which is actually mm. notoriously hard to do so they could get like the right he described it as like making the tents breathe basically with the wind um so you know just kind of like just just that level of dedication i think to the production craft um really i think helps i gets this film i think just to the next to that next level you can tell there's so much care in everything and how like the production design informs so much of also the characters as well right like kate blanchett's character with her secret uh, office and all the secret doors kind of showing how she's a secretive person kind of like everything all that all coming together i think really Finally, even more than Dune, I think comes around to really add to the film, add to the film in a way that Dune's production design doesn't. Dune's production design is amazing from just the, what they were able to accomplish level. I think Nightmare Alley is the film where the production design actually informs the story and informs the narrative. So, if the Academy yes. is able to see things along that line, um, I think that uh, I think that Nightmare Alley uh, can can steal the win here, and Dune goes down to only uh, five wins for the night, which is still more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, and shout out to Toronto and the greater Toronto area where this movie was filmed. Plenty of uh, 
recognizable locations that I, I recognize. The Richard Jenkins house, that whole garden, all that stuff was uh, a place called Casa Loma. Uh, my best friend got married there. I was one of his groomsmen. And so I instantly recognized uh, that whole house and set up because uh, it, it's so iconic in Toronto. If anyone's ever in Toronto, make sure you go check out Casa did, Loma because it's, it's Did he walk beautiful. through that gate where, where she walked through at, at, at any point? No, no. Uh, I think that one, I'm, I'm not too sure exactly how that worked because that doesn't, that's not real the way they have it set up. I think they did uh, either a separate location for that or they combine two locations because that house is actually on a hill. And so if that gate was really there, you'd fall off an edge. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only thing I noticed about that. I was like, oh, that's, that's not exactly how this works out. Um, but yeah, moving on to the last category and that's best costume design. I would love for this movie to win best costume design as I've, you know, repeatedly said, I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, but I, I think it probably is in the long shot category. We probably have Dune and Cruella as the real favorites. And then nightmare alley is probably behind it. Maybe alongside West side story. Like I said, with production design, it's two different kinds of movies. You've got this really interesting carnival look where everyone's got very heightened costumes. And then you've got the uh, the high-class look where everyone is very elegant and regal. And suddenly everyone changes. It looks it goes from being like abrasive and rough to very smooth and soft. And they and they look so good. Both, both sections of this movie look so good. And he did such a great job, th- this team that did this. So I would, I would love it to be there, but unfortunately I think it's in the long shot category. Yeah, the rankings are about the same. You know, Cruella, like we mentioned first, Dune, kind of by the weight of its momentum coming in second, and the Nightmare Alley third. So kind of like a dark horse for me in that in that scenario there. Um, yeah, I don't think there's too much more to say about Nightmare Alley, except that I really wish that instead of Javier Bardem getting nominated for uh, lead actor, Bradley Cooper had gotten nominated mm. uh, for lead actor. No, no argument. No argument for me. Now, that uh, we, we didn't do it for King Richard, but Nightmare Alley, that I... I don't think it's going to walk away with anything. I think it's going to go home empty-handed. King Richard, it's between zero and one with the one award being for Will Smith, if that does happen. Um, how do you sum up those two films? Um, I would say, I would put Nightmare Alley at zero to one. I think the production design really, I think it, that, that's the strongest. I, I would put the odds at 51 Dune, 49 Nightmare Alley, which is basically 50-50 <laughs> at this point, right? Um, if I had to like, okay. give a leader. So I think zero to one for both uh, King Richard and for Nightmare Alley. Okay, and what about King Richard? Oh yeah, zero to one for both. Zero to one for both. Okay. Okay. Uh, sounds good. Well, there you have it. Those are the first three movies that we have talked about throughout this series. Uh, we're going to talk about the remaining, uh, seven best picture films and all the categories that they are nominated in. I'm going to have a different guest for every episode. Paulo, I really appreciate you coming on. It's always a pleasure having you and you bring so much knowledge and expertise. So thank you for that. If people want to follow your work and find more of you, what is the best way to do it? And what is happening with your shows uh, this Oscar season? Yeah, for sure. I'm sad we couldn't talk about uh, French Dispatch uh, for uh, production design also. Because, you know, as (laughs) this is an ongoing joke now. I know. I still haven't seen Wes Anderson films, and this would have been my chance to do it, but I I escaped yet another year. Um, Yeah. So if you want to hear what I'm doing, you know, I have a bunch of different podcasts that I work on. Um, The one kind of, you know, most relevant for for Dakota and your 
your listeners uh, would be the Oscars Death Face podcast. Um, you know, you can find it's it's you know basically just me going through. This is my third year doing it, going through and just finding like trying to on audio diary almost of like me attempting you know to do the Oscars Death Face, watching all fifty some odd films uh, for the Oscars each year, and hopefully able to finish it um, before the ceremony. Um, you know, I'm not I'm pretty bad about actually using social media. I technically do have a Twitter called Oscars D Racecast, um, but you know I'm sorry Dakota will link to in the show notes where you can find my show on Spotify or or wherever else he wants to link to to Oscars Death Race podcast. Um, other than that, I have a couple other podcasts. I have a uh, box office podcast. So you know I mentioned a couple times throughout the show about this, how films did in terms of you know box office performance and and whatnot. Um, that's because I'm really interested in understanding right like how films actually do at the box office because those kind of t- inform us how well a film how, what what studios are likely to make in the future right um you know a lot of trends mm-hmm. with with regard to streaming in the industry and so on so if you're interested in the movie in the business of movie making um definitely recommend you check out the box office watch podcast um comes out every week sometime tuesday or, th- or wednesday depending on my work schedule um you know i think i just hit 100 episodes two years on that one um so just hit a landmark there and yeah um you know definitely uh Definitely been an interesting time to do it with the pandemic, starting out theaters for a year and then coming uh, the slow ramp up in 2021. So hopefully 2022 is the year where we can get back on track uh, with box office uh, numbers to analyze. Um, yeah, I have some other podcasts like an anime podcast, the Match of the Gathering podcast. But I think Box Office Watch uh, and Oscar's Death Race podcast, I think, are where you are most uh, likely to catch me. Um, other than that, if you're interested, you know, uh, shout out to the Oscar's Death Race uh, or the Academy of Death Racers uh, Discord. Um, you can find me hanging out in there, uh, talk about movies and whatnot, not just during Oscar season, but throughout the entire year. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I will link to both of your shows in the show notes for people to check out because they are both invaluable sources of information. And and it's something your shows help me do a lot of my homework as well, the stuff that you talk about. So I really appreciate all the work that the hard work that you put into your shows. Thank you. And yeah, you can also follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, the username is Ninja Boy, uh, Ninja Boy with an I N I N J A B O I. Awesome. Well, next week is not going to be about the Oscars, but in two weeks, we will be back with our second edition of this series. You can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod, and let us know what you think of the odds for these three films to win their Oscars. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there too. Thanks for checking us out. Thank mm-hmm. you.